0: This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed
1: film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book, What School Could Be. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the What School Could Be podcast. I'm your host, Josh Rapoon. Before we start the show, please check out all the resources at whatschoolcouldbe.org and our global online community. If you are a committed education change agent, simply install the What School Could Be app on your mobile device or navigate to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org. I hope to see you there. My guest today for this last episode of 2023 is Joanne McPike, the founder of and board chair at Think Global School, which one education blogger called, and I paraphrase, one of the five weirdest schools in the world. She meant that in the best way possible, as you will find out shortly. To introduce Joanne, I'm going to quote directly from Think Global's website. Think Global School founder Joanne McPike has travel in her blood. At the age of 18, she left her native New Zealand to explore the world, and her boots haven't left the ground since. She now holds passports to two nations, speaks three languages, and has photographed over 100 countries, collecting some of her most arresting international images in a coffee table book titled Think. She encouraged her son, Alex, to keep a journal about his family's extensive travels as soon as he was old enough to hold a pen, instilling in him the value of experiencing the world as an engaged citizen and thinker. By the age of 14, Alex had traveled alongside his parents, Joanne and Harry McPike, to more than 70 countries. The family began searching for a high school that would embrace world travel as much as they did, but every inquiry came up short. That's when Joanne and Harry had their what-if moment. If no school existed that could serve their son's needs and their unique educational philosophy, why not start one themselves? With Alex's input, Joanne and Harry set out to create a new type of school in which travel, cultural immersion and empathy served as its core values. In September of 2010, Think Global School began its first semester in Sweden with 15 students hailing from 11 countries. The traveling high school has since visited every continent except Antarctica, hosted dozens of influential guest speakers campaigned for human and environmental rights, mounted art exhibitions, created thousands of essays, blog posts, and videos, sent graduating students to university, and fostered lifelong friendships between students from around the globe. A foundation established by Joanne McPike provides long-term funding for THiNK Global School and allows for broad cultural and economic diversity within the student body, ensuring that promising global citizens from all walks of life will have the opportunity to make the THiNK Global School experience their own. But the THiNK Global School vision goes beyond serving its students. With an emphasis on education through experience, service as citizenship, and sharing best practices with other educational institutions worldwide, the Think Global School aims to not only shape students who are informed, engaged, and inspired, but also to leave a positive impact on both the world of education and the world at large. Chris Baum, the acclaimed author of Finding the Magic in Middle School, the triple founder of schools in California and Japan, and a former guest on this show, said this about my guest today, Quote, Joanne leads with boldness, style, and bravery. She and her team have built one of the most unique and compelling schools on the planet. It's like an ideal version of the United Nations, exceptionally diverse, practicing place-based and project-based learning at very high levels. Today, it's beginning to more directly influence and train schools around the world. And it all started with her willingness to think big and think differently." End quote. One young student from Palestine offered the following testimonial about her time with Think Global. Quote, ask questions, Speak your mind, think, be respectful and give hugs Were Joanne's words that I will never forget nor stop using. At Think Global, I learned that everyone is equal and that young people's voices matter and are heard, end quote. And now here's my conversation with Joanne McBike. Joanne, welcome to the What School Could Be podcast.
2: How wonderful to be here with you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: You are the final guest of 2023, so this is super awesome to have you on the show today. I've really been looking forward to it, so thank you. So, Joanne, this might be a slightly crazy start to our conversation today, but roll with me. So, there is this wise woman in my home state of Hawaii in the U.S., and her name is Puanani Burgess. And she talks about living in the between spaces. So this got me imagining an autobiography I would read titled The Book of Joanne. <laughs> and the chapter, the first chapter begins like this. I grew up in a small town and my mother was a dressmaker and my father was a plumber. So how did young Joanne become Joanne McPike as a result of her early life, living in this conceptual space between dressmaker and plumber way down south of the equator in New Zealand?
2: My mother is actually Italian. She Mm -hmm. was born and raised in Italy and came to New Zealand when she was in her very early 20s. And so I've always had a fascination with other cultures. My dream as a child was to be an air hostess because that was the only way Mm. I could imagine getting out of New Zealand, coming from a small town of 15,000 people. Mm. My favorite subject at school was social studies, where we got to study different cultures, different countries. And so I've always had quite a fascination with travel. Mm. And so when I, left high school I wanted to be a photographer and I was told that there is no money in photography you'll never get a job in photography so I should go to university and so I went to the University of Auckland for probably about six months and I studied English, French, Italian and linguistics and I decided that wasn't really for me and that if I was going to learn French and Italian it was going to be in france and italy so i bought a one way ticket to italy and i went to visit my grandparents mm. and that's basically how i got out of new zealand and how i started my love for travel mm mm-hmm. and you know the school was basically born out of the knowledge that everything that i've learned in my life has come through experience mm Right, and travel.
1: Right, right. You know, I was thinking, I'm the youngest of seven kids, and my sister, actually, who's the oldest, she's 13 years older than me, got a job with Pan American at some point after her college years. And I think she worked like as a reservation agent. And as a result of that, I was able to travel to Europe with my mother and father and my sister and one of my brothers when I was still only, I think in the sixth or seventh grade, I was very young. And, you know, leaving Hawaii (laughs) almost, I mean, growing up in a very small town on the island of Oahu, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I remember that experience almost like it was yesterday. It was like experience is what causes learning and memory to stick, right? I mean, when you have those kinds of experiences. And I also am the product of a community activist slash homemaker and a doctor. And I wonder, you know, between dressmaker and plumber that, there's something happened in the beginning and that you you lived in that between space and then you began to travel the world you know but you continue to live in those between spaces even today is that a fair way of looking at it
2: yeah that's absolutely a fair way of looking at it i mean my life is about learning and new experiences right yeah. those are the in between spaces right between what we don't know and what we could possibly know, mm-hmm. right? That's where curiosity lies. And I think if there was a word that I had to use to define me, it would be curious, mm. right? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I love that. And and Puanani Burgess here in Hawaii talks a lot about the difference between asking someone where they're from, so you're from New Zealand, mm-hmm. and also asking them, where are you coming from? Which is a completely different question, right? It's mm-hmm. like, it, it just, it, it encapsulates so much more about who I am. So perfect. So I'm going to preface this next question by saying that, as you mentioned before, I wish I knew at 50 what I now know at 65. And the, the past eight years have been an amazing learning curve for me, and especially doing this podcast and talking to amazing guests. So having said that, I think it's important for our listeners to hear the story and a little bit more depth of young Joanne, inspired partly by your father's National Geographic magazine collection, buying this one-way ticket from Auckland to Europe, and you had your SLR camera in hand, a love of languages in your heart, and a core DNA that makes you both super curious and very brave. So how did the story of your life begin to change when you landed in Europe and what roads less travel did you take upon landing in Europe? Like where did the story go from there?
2: <laughs> so interesting, when I got to Europe, I didn't speak Italian, so that was my first course of action was to learn the language and I did that actually relatively quickly. I would say probably within 6 months I was fluent in Italian. Mm. And I had odd jobs. I was working in a fitness center. I was an au pair. And somebody asked me in the fitness center I was working in if I wanted to come sell magazine subscriptions (laughs) at a poker tournament in Malta. Mm. And Mm. I thought to myself, wow, I've never been to Malta. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Malta and I met some people down there and they were like, have you ever played blackjack? We'd like you to be on our blackjack team. We'll send you a ticket to Spain. And I was like, wow, I've never been to Spain. Mm. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And so I actually started playing professional blackjack, which is actually very funny if you know me because I am so bad at math. Mm. I literally would sit at the blackjack table and add to 21 on my fingers. (laughs) And, okay. and through that experience, I just, you know, I got to travel the world a little bit more mm-hmm. playing professional blackjack. Then I met my husband on the way on one of my journeys, and he has a insane love for travel and exploration, just mm-hmm. like I do.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And we ended up getting married, having a child, living in many different countries around the world. Mm. Before we finally settled in the Bahamas, mm. and you know, my son, by the time he was thirteen, he'd been to seventy two countries. yeah, that was our love. That's what we prioritized mm. was travel,
1: yeah. So, I want to dig a little bit deeper into the Italian or learning Italian part because I've had so Mm -hmm. many conversations with classroom educators on this show about language and about world travel. And I wonder, how did that work? Like, you say you were able to sort of master Italian in about six months. And I'm just imagining kind of painfully, Joanne, like kids sitting in four-wall classrooms Mm -hmm. listening to somebody try to teach them how to speak It sounds like your experience was immersive and that there was some sort of core educational element in the way that you learned Italian, right?
2: Yeah. Well, like I said, when I did that short stint at university, trying to learn Italian at university, I just knew that was not going to work for me. I mean, I'd done French in high school and, you know, had the very basics of it. Once I got to Italy, it literally was immersed. My grandparents didn't speak English. Mm. None of my cousins really spoke English. So I had to. I watched Italian television. You know, the thing is, is being brave. Yeah. Right. And getting out there and just trying. And one of the things I think that you see is that if you try to speak a language in a country, people are very generous with their help Mm. in, you know, helping you learn that language. Right. They're really quite lovely. And I guess maybe I have a knack for languages where I, don't particularly have a knack for numbers. Mm. You know, everybody has, I guess, their strengths. But it also allowed me to connect with people. Yeah. And learn about people. And you learn so much about a culture when you learn their language Mm. and their mannerisms. As well, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, I, I love the idea that that the people that you were interacting with in Italy were starting to understand where you were coming from, which is a place of curiosity and bravery, and that they responded to that. I love that. That's just, and I I just wish. And this was such an experience for me going through. You know, your life story and and the founding of Think Global, which we'll get to in a little bit, but just about how so much of this is embedded in that idea of curiosity and bravery, that the two go hand in hand, and that if you really want to be a learner, you have to be brave. You have to really put yourself out (laughs) there. So that's great. So you told me, and I quote, people fascinate me, what they do, what they say, what they believe and how they believe. And you know, you said we all think we know ourselves so well. So, Joanne, I was recently in New Zealand where you grew up, and I'm still almost two months later, trying to unravel the mystery of why I had such a hugely positive reaction to the people of Aotearoa. So I mean, it was it's like too easy to say that they were uniformly friendly, kind, helpful, etc. That's true of a lot of people in a lot of places. Something much deeper was going on. So my question to you is, what have you learned over the course of your life, and especially all the time that you spent doing your photography in more than 100 countries and turning that into a beautiful book called Think? What sort of light can you shed on my interactions with the people of New Zealand, and and maybe help me try to figure out as I process this, why I had such a reaction to them.
2: You know, I think that at the base of everything, people are kind. And they want to share who they are. They want to share their interests, their love of their country, their pride. Mm. I don't think it's just in New Zealand. I really do think that it's all over the world. Right. Mm. I think that we actually have so much more in common than we think we do. Mm. And people want to connect. Right. They want to be they want to be part of something bigger. They want to be part of friendships, of community. And when you feel that, you feel welcome. Right. And you want to be a part of it. Yeah. It's funny. It's really not that difficult. I know it's not easy, but it's really not that difficult if you get right down to the very basics of it, right? We actually do love each other, and we want to understand one another, and we want to be a part of each other's lives, and we love to share all of that. I don't think that's just New Zealanders. I think that you and Hawaii are the same way, right?
1: People have the same reaction when they come here, yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it, it kind of boils down to that notion of feeling welcome. Yeah. And w- when you feel welcome, I guess you feel a little bit loved. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm feeling right now is I actually, I literally, I'm, I'm going to just say this on the air right now. I feel a longing to go back there as if I had met someone very special and I wanted to go back and I want to go back and see that person. It's quite a remarkable feeling.
2: It's a lovely draw, isn't it?
1: It sure is. It mm-hmm. sure is. And what you're saying is that that feeling is, is all over the world. And so I guess... Mm-hmm. The, the follow-up question that I would want to ask you is like, in what ways has your experience as a photographer becoming, and I've, I've been spending a lot of time, Joanne, talking with guests about mm-hmm. the act of becoming, that as you became a photographer, what does that mean to be the photographer? And how does that shape how looking through your lens, you see the world and you begin to have insights? about the world and about the people who live in the world, how does that work?
2: we're always in the process of becoming, aren't we? I don't think we ever get there, wherever there might be. Yeah. You know, for me, photography was my creative outlet. It was my way and is still my way of telling a story, right? So the National Geographic magazines that my father used to get, I remember distinctly when I was about 13 years old, there was an article in one of them, photography article about the east block and these orphanages and they had these children chained to beds and i remember it was black and white Mm. and it impacted me so strongly i still feel it in my body today that this is wrong and i want to be that person who tells that story Mm. and (laughs) There was a a short while that I actually wanted to be a war photographer, Mm. right? That I wanted to go out and I wanted to show people the suffering in the world because it was unfair and it wasn't right, right? And so that's sort of what started me on my photographic journey. And I do love the storytelling part Mm. of it, Mm -hmm. right? The ability to show the world the way that I see it. Right, and we all have a different impression of the world. We all have a different view of the world. Photography for me, I love the color, the texture. I love being able to capture almost like the soul in people's eyes, Mm. right? The emotion that they have, even animals, you know, capturing the personality of an animal and being able to sit back In my home, wherever I am, and be able to go through that and live that moment again. Mm. Right. So, photography for me is also a way to relive moments that were special to me, that meant a lot to me.
1: Yeah. That's so cool. You know, a, a number of years ago when Instagram first came out, and of course, like everybody in the world, I got an Instagram account, and I noticed right away that there was a lot of just sort of posting about you know, people were posting about their lives and what they were eating and selfies and so on and so forth. And when I was in school, I never took an art class. I was never encouraged to take an art class, if you can believe that. (laughs) And I thought to myself, hmm, maybe Instagram can be my art project that I never did 40 years ago. And so... Because of a biking accident where I broke my wrist, I was grounded for a while so I could only walk. And here in Hawaii, I started going on these really long walks and I started documenting everything that I would see on these walks in all these neighborhoods. And so I totally hear you about that. And one of my wonderings is whether we can create environments of learning that where it feels like you're almost Joanne the photographer, everybody, every kid becomes Joanne the photographer, because it puts you in a mode of, of seeing and of wondering and of curiosity and also of bravery. So that's that's very cool. So Slight left turn here, and one more question before we go to our first break, Joanne. So, you mentioned before that you were a professional blackjack player, and seriously, when I read that, I was like, Wait, what? You know, this is an absolute first on this podcast. So, there is this pathway whose waypoints include being a photographer, a professional blackjack player, a wife, a mother, a world traveler, and then in Vietnam, of all places a mother again, but this time of a child named Think Global School. So you called this a crazy idea, but I actually disagree. What's crazy to me is kids sitting in a four-wall classroom listening to a lecture on algebra that is completely irrelevant to them. So how did this multiple perspectives learning concept get born in Vietnam? And what were its first steps from young child school to developing into an adult school?
2: Well, Vietnam was key because we were there with Alexander, my son. He was probably about seven or eight years old. And our guide had taken us into the Chi tunnels under under Hanoi. And before we went in, he said to me, going to take you into a a room, so you can see some of the propaganda from the Americans. And I remember mm. thinking to myself, "Americans don't have propaganda, right?" And I mean, <laughs> and I walk into this room and I look around and I'm like, "Wow!" Because growing up in New Zealand, we heard about the Vietnam War, but it wasn't really a a subject of study, yeah. let's say. And so I knew nothing about the Vietnam War, nothing. And in Vietnam, they called it the American War. And I walked into this room and I, I was shocked at myself. And I said, wow, I've learned history only from one side. Mm. And I don't want my son growing up learning history from only one side. And that's sort of where the idea of a school that travels came from. And so... I remember saying to my husband, you know, we should just get a boat and travel around the world with a tutor. And he said that it'd be really boring for him. It would be more fun for a bunch of kids. And I went, okay, mm. I'm going to get a bunch of kids and some teachers and we're going to travel around the world and learn as we go. And that's the point where everybody said, you're crazy. That, yeah. You know, nobody's going to send their kids and you won't find teachers and all the rest of it. And, but there was a part of me that was like, this is how I learned best. Why would it not be best for other people? Mm. Right. And so I started, I started with this belief that learning happens best when you're engaged and when it's relevant. Right. And to me, that doesn't happen in a classroom. Mm. And so I found a few other crazy people who believed (laughs) the same thing I believed. Yeah. And, you know, we had no model for how it should work or Mm. it could work. And so we spent a lot of time dreaming big and putting out fires along the way. Mm. But in 2010, we managed to open in Sweden our first semester with 15 very brave children and 30 very, very brave parents. Right, And we haven't looked back.
1: Mm. What was your pitch to the parents?
2: That was interesting. It was word of mouth, basically. And, oh, I can't remember exactly what my pitch was. It was more send your kid around the world traveling and learning at the same time. I think, I don't know, I think I just found parents who were just like-minded to me and just had that trust. And maybe they weren't happy at their schools or... Whatever, I I honestly do not even remember what my pitch was back then. Mm -hmm.
1: I ask, Joanne, because, you know, there's a lot of conversation these days in the education world about you know, the role of parents and that parents are always, and rightfully so, thinking, you know, what's best for my kid? And oftentimes, it's there's a particular pathway that everybody knows and understands, and it often leads to college. And I think it sounds like what you might have been pitching was, yes, there is going to be a pathway, but it's going to be very different from any other pathway. But you're still going to be like supporting your child in the development of his or her sort of ability to be curious and to be brave. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, we can do this. You can get what the traditional system likes to offer, but we can do this completely differently and we can make it relevant.
2: Well, to me, education is more than just what you learn in books, right? It's more than learning your math and your English and your science. And yeah, sure, those things are important. There's a certain scaffolding that one needs to become a lifelong learner. But the enjoyment of learning, right, the engagement, the curiosity that a lot of times just dies when you're in a regular school, the tests that you have to take that compare you to one another that make you not feel good about yourself how is it helping our students? Yeah. Right? Yeah. We want them to grow up to be adaptable and resilient and a valuable member of community. We don't need more people who just know facts.
1: Right. And who compete with each other.
2: And who compete with each other. For
1: the most number of facts. That's perfect. Hey, everyone. We've been talking to Joanne McPike, the founder and board chair at Think Global School. Stay with us. We will be right back. Hi fellow educators, I'm Steve Shapiro, and like you, I'm excited about the possibilities of what school could be. Please check out my podcast, Experience Matters, where I talk to guests ranging from big national thinkers like Daniel Pink and Tony Wagner to recent high school graduates about the most profound learning experiences of their youth. Then we dig into the implications for how we can reshape schools to produce powerful breakthrough learning for all of our students. Education can take many forms, But whatever form it takes, experience matters. Hey there. Are you interested in hearing weekly conversations with authors, leaders, and practitioners at the forefront of learning and education innovation? Then you'll love the Getting Smart podcast. This podcast amplifies the incredible work being done by some of the most innovative minds in education. Learn new leadership styles, new technologies, new frameworks and mindsets, and get the fuel you need to stay motivated and curious. Together, we can empower all learners to thrive. It's available at gettingsmart.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.
3: Hi friends, this is Toy Hirschman from Ed. It is my great honor to uplift this excellent podcast, What School Could Be. As always, we are super excited to support innovation in education. We've been lucky enough to feature some of the incredible What School Could Be educators on our podcast. If you are looking to be inspired by entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial educators and other great minds from across the world, check out the EntreEd Talk podcast, and please like and subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning in. Hey
1: everyone, we are back with Joanne McPike, who holds passports to two nations, speaks three languages, and has photographed over 100 countries collecting some of her most arresting international images in a coffee table book titled Think. So Joanne, you shared with me a list of books that have had an outsized influence in your life. And in this list is one of the most important books I have ever read, which is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And at the risk of losing our listeners here, Frankl argues Meaning can be found through experiencing reality by interacting authentically with the environment and with others, giving something back to the world through creativity and self expression and changing our attitude when faced with a situation or circumstance that we cannot change. So I wonder, Joanne, when in Vietnam some 13 years ago, the idea of Think Global School began growing in your mind, that a search for meaning would be a core element of this school, of what it would ultimately mean to be a graduate of Think Global, and that a journey towards meaning would be a key to the think global experience. So am I on the right track about that?
2: Yeah, you are on the right track. Okay. It's helping young people become curious about why they behave like they do, why others behave like they do, why a society is where it is. Right? That Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning book for me was so important because it helped me understand that No matter how bad things got in life, I had a choice in how to react to things. And that choice was mine to make. And it's important for me that young people understand also that they have a choice in how they react. But to do that, you need to know as much as you can, right? Mm. You You need to see as much of the world, you know, from... For Think Global, one of the most important things for me is that students understand there are multiple different perspectives in life. There's not just one perspective that's right, right. There are multiple different perspectives depending on where you come from. And you need to have an open enough mind to be able to see those. You may not agree with them all, but you need to be able to see them and acknowledge them to be able to make wiser decisions.
1: I discovered this concept which was kind of new to me but words are when you rearrange them they can often mean different things i started to realize as i was going through the birth of think global that something called multiple perspectives learning was emerging into my brain right mm-hmm. there's project based learning there's challenge based learning there's opportunity based mm-hmm. there's all these kinds of hyphenated types of learning but within the multiple perspectives approach to learning is that struggle to find meaning, you're back right in the between spaces again, right? Between this interpretation or this perspective. And it sounds like even early on, this was actually happening as you were gathering up the folks that you needed to help get this school started eventually in Sweden, right? Is that a fair way Mm -hmm. of looking at
2: it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and also because I knew the feeling that I wanted the school to have, Mm. but I didn't know how it should be, right? And so we had to try many different things, right? We tried the IB for a while. We realized that that wasn't working for us, right? I think the ability to be able to try something and then say, you know, that works for me or that doesn't work for me, and then to move on to something else, Mm. that's the in-between that you're talking about as well, right? There's space in there and there's compassion for self, there's forgiveness for others, there is learning, there's understanding, there's yeah. I mean it's it's honestly it's such a delicious spot to be in. <laughs> yes, isn't it?
1: Absolutely it is. And actually that's a that's a perfect segue to my next question, Joanne. You know, in a letter to your community, which is posted at Think Global's website. You noted that the school operates on core values pulled from cultures around the world, which are, and I'm going to list them here, the Greek "miraki," meaning to pour all of your soul, creativity, and love into your work, and the English empathy, which we generally know, the Japanese kaizen, meaning to continually improve while being self-aware, responsible, and disciplined, and to the Zulu Ubuntu, meaning to connect yourself to a greater whole. So these might be, Joanne, some of the most unique core values I've come across in my years paying attention to education. So to what extent did, years ago, Think Global's values come straight from Joanne McPike's head and heart and experience? And to what extent have they grown and developed in the 13 years since your first semester as a school?
2: You know, they've grown and developed a lot over the years. These ones that that you read out, there are a couple more, Mm. Pixie and I can't pronounce the Mandarin one, like the thirst for knowledge and and protecting the environment and living your truth in a way that's honest. So this lot actually came from a working group with our students and we sat down with them over, I don't know how long it took us to come up with these but this was a, a communal effort
0: mm. from
2: all of our wow. students right to decide what was important to them mm. right what what did they think is important to them so one of the things about I think global schools education you know if people ask me you know what kind of education is it I like to say it's a values-based education right because I think that that's something that we don't talk enough about. Agreed. At school or in society in general. I mean, I think there is a a serious lack of moral leadership in the world today. and, And there's a lot of fear around the world that people are scared to speak up and speak out. And, you know, I want that everything that my students do at Think Global is based in these values. Right. Right. And they have to show us how they have incorporated these values into all of the projects that they do.
1: Yeah right. You know, I would give almost anything to go back in time and to be just an observer in a fishbowl setting, an observer of that conversation or those conversations that you were having with students about what the values of the very process of learning would be for them. That's my greatest hope, Joanne, for reimagining education is that we would have a much greater degree of student participation, insight, input into what it is that we, you know, this thing we call school. You know, I did an episode with a founder of a school here in Hawaii called The School for Examining Essential Questions of Sustainability. It's called SEEKS. And her name is Buffy Cushman-Pates, and she talks a lot about what you value is where you put your time. Mm -hmm. And I'm just looking at, you know, Meraki, the Greek, you know, that I value that, and I'm going to pour all of my soul and my creativity and love into my work, right? It's, It's the application of the value, and that's what you wanted to have happening day in and day out as Think Global became a school and as you began to travel with your students around the world, right?
2: Exactly. Well, because these are the things that create character,
1: mm. right? Yeah. You know,
2: what we're doing at Think Global is not just educating the mind, but it's helping young people develop character that will define who they are and how they interact with the world for their entire lives. Right. Right? And education is more than just what you learn in a classroom. It's... Who do you become as a person mm. deep down? What is important to you?
1: Right. And then there are these moments, which is you know my next question. There are these moments where you, as the founder, actually get to provide some insight to your students. So you delivered 10 years ago a speech to the first Think Global School graduating class. And in that speech, you said the following, and I'm going to quote you here at length.
0: Mm.
1: Don't just look, see. Don't just hear, listen. Don't just taste, savor. Don't just touch, feel. Don't just observe, absorb. And most importantly, don't just use logic, follow your intuition, end quote. So I wonder from what deep wellspring these words Emerge. Like, they feel core to me, very elemental, not at all relatable to the traditional idea of school you and I experience. And I wonder if you could take us through the creation of that first commencement address and what it was like to deliver those words to the first group of kids shaped by I Think Global School. Must have been epic.
2: You know what? It, it all comes from the heart, right? It comes from a feeling it comes from a feeling that I want them to have about life.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And, you know, I can't tell you that I put many, many hours into that because normally I just write my speeches the night before I give them. I go <laughs> on what it feels yeah. like at the time that needs to be said. Yeah. And that part in particular, it really is, is how do you want to interact with life? Right. You don't want to be a, a robot. You want to live life. You want to live your learning every single day. I mean, I'm 57 years old and I still don't know what I want to do with my life. <laughs> right. Right. I love learning. Mm. I love observing and, and feeling and really listening.
0: Mm.
2: Right. And it's kind of like you can skim over life. And you can just get by yeah. by skimming over life through it, like ice skating on ice. And there might be some safety in that, that people feel it's safer to do it that way. Yeah. But getting down and really experiencing it, mm. you know, that's what I want them to be able to do because that's where the learning really happens, right? right. Learning happens only when you're challenged.
1: Right. You know, Joanne, about a week ago, I had a funny thing happen. I was in a meeting and, you know, it was on Zoom. So, of course, (laughs) you know, all of these Zoom meetings, which can be difficult because you're not in the room with somebody, but something really funny happened. It was at the end, it was a great meeting. And at the end, somebody who was in the meeting said, oh, that was delicious. And I thought, wow, the use of the word delicious. It's like, don't just taste, savor. It's like, don't mm-hmm. just be in a meeting, taste the darn thing. And if it mm-hmm. if it tastes delicious, fantastic. <laughs> you know, we've achieved something special here. We've done a delicious meeting. And I love that.
2: You know what it is? It's like now, it's like your energy meeting my energy, right? And I know that can sound a little bit woo-woo to people.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But when there's that connection of understanding, even if you don't agree with the person, right? But there's that connection of, of of understanding on a deeper level. Yeah. That's what we live for, those moments. Yeah.
1: And here at age 65, that's what I'm living for right now too, mm-hmm. which is why it's such a joy to do these conversations with people. So, okay, we're going to squeeze in one more question before we go to our second break. So, Joanne, one of the best moments during my research into Think Global was the day I spent clicking and reading on your Our People webpage, which is beautifully designed. And as I clicked through the names and read the bios of Adam and Shasta and Leticia and Sam and Heather and Andy and Mary and all the others, I started asking questions in my head about your Think Global team. And I know this is likely a kind of wicked hard question, but what are the ties? That bind your Think Global team together. And if you have thoughts about building great teams, I know I sure would like to hear it, and our listeners would would love to hear them.
2: You know what the common thread through everybody is, I think, is enthusiasm Mm. for what we're doing, belief in what we're doing, and kindness. Mm. Right? They are so kind and So open to conversation and collaborative and, you know, when we add people to our team, the interviews are a lot of the times around who are you and what do you believe in and what are your values, right? We all have the same values as well. Yeah. Right. And trust, Mm. right? We trust that we're all in it for the right reason. We all have the right intention, and that intention is to help young people grow into the best versions of themselves, Mm -hmm. right?
1: Yeah. I've been having lots of conversations, again, with another former guest who's a very treasured friend and somebody who's very knowledgeable about the international school scene around the world. And Robert Landau and I have been talking a lot about how schools need to live their mission and vision. Mm -hmm. And that oftentimes, if you pull the faculty, they don't even know what the mission and vision of the school is. They're just there to be in their classrooms. And it sounds like one of the things that ties all of your team together is that they're literally Together living the mission and vision of Think Global School, right?
2: But (laughs) with kindness on a daily basis with the the students. (laughs) (laughs) With
1: students. But but they're but they're living it with kindness. And and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's just wonderful. So that's a great way to take us into our second break. Hey everyone. We've been talking to Joanne McPike, the founder and board chair at Think Global School. Stay with us. We will be right back. This is Guy Kawasaki. If you want to learn how to be a remarkable person, please check out my podcast, Remarkable People. I interview people like Roy Yamaguchi, Margaret Atwood, Jane Goodall, Stephen Wolfram, Stephen Pinker, Ariana Huffington, and Steve Wozniak. The point of the podcast is to help you become a little bit more remarkable. To learn more, go to remarkablepeople.com. Thank you. Aloha, my name is Aaron Shorn, a previous guest on this very podcast. I am also now head of growth and community at Hawaii's own Unruler. Unruler is a collaborative mobile and web platform that accelerates innovation, grows culture and community, and celebrates learning. Learners post multimedia, tag their learning, and through comments are able to work together asynchronously. Each post is a moment of learning that forms the foundation of a joyous learning journey. We can be found at UNR. ULR.com. Mahalo. Are you ready to shake things up in the classroom? Then get ready to blast off into the future of education with the Teacher Nerds podcast. Join Joe DiPaolo and Ron Nover as they share their own experiences, as well as talk with guests who are experts and innovators in education. From engaging teaching techniques, to the latest educational technology, this podcast is a must listen for anyone passionate about the future of learning. Subscribe and get ready to learn with the Teacher Nerds Podcast. Hey everyone, we are back with Joanne McPike, founder of Think Global School, which began in September of 2010 in Sweden with 15 students hailing from 11 countries. So Joanne, Think Global makes a series of promises to its learners, promises that are stated very clearly up front on your website. I would like to ask you about just one of them. One promise reads as follows, we will challenge traditional learning models serving as thought leaders in the integration of travel, technology, and learning in the hope that other educational institutions will soon follow our lead. So as you travel the continents, Joanne, and talk to people about Think Global, in what ways are folks recognizing it as a model? Like where and how far do you hope to take this idea of being somewhat of a challenge to traditional schooling, which is an idea that I love?
2: You know what I often get from other administrators or teachers, you know, it's all well and good for you. You travel the world. We are stuck in one place and we can't travel. And, you know, for me, my answer to them always was, just get your kids out of the classroom, just go do an English lesson in the park or, you know, bring more speakers in, like broaden their horizons, get them out of the four walls. And what was really interesting when COVID happened, of course, we had to send everybody home. We were stuck inside for almost two years yeah. and it still worked, mm-hmm. right? the Project based learning still worked. They were still engaged in their learning. They showed up every day on Zoom calls, interacted with their classmates from around the world. The projects that we did were a lot of them were COVID related, right? Creativity under COVID or looking at different countries' healthcare systems and what they were doing. That proved to me that what we are doing can be done in a place-based school,
0: Mm.
2: right? And so, you know, we've started on this little project called the Think Learning Studio that we hope, this is just all brand new, but, you know, we hope to be able to share the knowledge that we have Mm. and how we do things with teachers and administrators or school systems or governments from around the world Mm. to show them that it is possible. And one of the biggest problems is fear of change. Right. People are like, well, you know, it worked for me, it'll work for my kids as well. You know, you see that with parents as well. I can't tell you that this is the magic bullet for every single school system. I think there are many different ways of doing things differently, mm. right? There's not one way that's right for everybody. But just to be open to the possibility and the potentiality of mm. doing things different. Mm. And I, listen, it's coming down the train tracks at us so fast. Yeah. Right. With the advent of AI and online learning and YouTube and Khan Academy. And I mean, if people want to learn, they can learn anything, it's out there. Mm. So, what we have to do now is reimagine the role of school, reimagine the role of teachers as guides, as mentors.
1: Coaches, yep.
2: You know, just think different about how it can be. Mm. It's hard because, you know, the public school system, it is stuck. It is underfunded. Teachers don't have the support that they need. Students don't have the support that they need. And it makes me all quite sad. And I wish I could take every single teenager around the world traveling for a year. I really wish I could do that. Yeah. You know. But I can't. So I'll just keep talking about it. and
1: Yeah. And asking people to be brave and creative. I mean, you know, we at What yeah. School Could Be are super excited because on January 24th, 2024, we're going to celebrate the ninth anniversary of Ted Dindersmith's film, Most Likely to Succeed, by screening another amazingly timeless film made by PBS Hawaii here in Hawaii, and it's called Dream Big not a coolie on the fringe and this is a very traditional high school in a economically challenged area of Oahu that in 2011 gathered up all of its community resources and sent a group of kids to Scotland to the Fringe Festival and it's an hour long documentary that really tells the story of their growth. And I'm just, I'm kind of getting goosebumps here in Hawaii right now, but just thinking about how that's essentially the idea that you're taking to people is that any school can have a traveling high school or a traveling middle school element to it. If you just be a little bit brave and think creatively, there's lots of places to go, even if they're only a mile down the road, right?
2: Exactly. You don't have to change country. Right. Just get out of the classroom.
1: Right. And as you said a second ago, now what we've learned from the pandemic is that you can actually travel straight through Zoom. It's not the perfect equivalent, not even close, but it sure can get you to different places pretty fast at no cost where you can interact with people. So I'd love that. So, wait. So, quick follow up question. Joanne, you've been working with Chris Baum, who is the founding principal at Hakuba International School in Japan, and he's also a former guest on this show, and I I love Chris. He's the author of a book called Finding the Magic in Middle School. So what is Chris learning from you, and what are you learning from him about what school could be? How's that going?
2: You know what, with Chris, what's so wonderful is Chris and the learning studio have worked to create, well, we only had one so far called the Hakuba Forum, which was bringing together schools who were doing things differently so that we could support one another. Yeah. Right. So that you know that you're not working in a silo.
1: Mm,
0: right.
2: right. And that's really important is, you know, it's not that I'm going to go there and tell him how he should do anything or he's going to tell me how to do anything. It's that we get together and we support, we encourage, we just enjoy yeah. the fact that we're all on the same page. Different pages, but, you know, the same mindset and let's do things differently. And there's a lot to be said about knowing you're not alone.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Because sometimes
2: when you feel like you're the only one out there doing it, it can get really lonely. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want that. I want all of us who are doing amazing, crazy, spectacular things to, you know, do it together.
1: And if if Think Global School and Joanne McPike serves as a kind of catalyst for those conversations, that's awesome. Absolutely awesome. So I'll be looking forward to hearing more about how that unfolds for you in the months and years ahead. Mm. So Joanne, I spent a fair bit of time studying the post-Think Global School journeys of your graduates. And one in particular jumped out at me, a young man named Christoph Stupka, who was in the class of 2017, and I read, and I quote here, but beyond that, I am now serving as the Czech UN Youth Delegate, and I was recently appointed as the youngest ever member of the Czech government's committee on LGBTQ plus rights, end quote. So my question is not really focused on Mr. Stupka, but on the many journeys of your graduates and the way you, Joanne, draw your energy from their stories. So is this like a fair way of looking at it? Is the charge in your proverbial battery what your graduates have actually done and are doing and who they are as human beings. Are there there other examples you could share with our listeners similar to Mr. Stupka's that really kind of point to how they charge you up and keep Think Global School moving forward?
2: It's not really so much about what each one of them are actually doing. You know, we've got alumni doing all sorts of things, everything from a regional counsellor in New Zealand to pursuing a master's in atmospheric climate science. Mm. One of our alumni started a blockchain-backed asset focused on Web3 for games, you know, Pursuing a master's in peace research and international relations, mm. doctors studying to become doctors, data privacy law. You know, they, they've they have branched out into all different areas, right? Photography for the New York Times. Mm. We have a young lady who's doing a master's thesis in inorganic chemistry at Oxford. You know, yeah, they're out doing amazing things. But one of the most important things to me is that we help them believe in their potential. Mm. I can't tell you what any of my students, my current students is going to do with their lives, but what I want them to understand is that I completely believe in them mm. in whatever direction they choose to go right right and I think that that's something that there's really a lack of is belief in people's potential mm. yeah right? I truly believe that we, are capable of way more than we ever believe that we are. Mm. And if I can give our graduates anything is that belief mm. that whatever path you choose to take or paths because you know these days there are multiple different paths that we we chop and change as we go along but right. they can do it and that whatever you do should be good for people and planet. Yeah. Right. And that's where I think you find your purpose is if you are doing something in service of people and planet. I think to me personally, that's where I find my happiness. And so, you know, we can only lead by example, right? Right. Is if you do something for people and planet and that's your purpose in service, then there's a happiness there, a contentedness there, there's a a purpose there. Right. And Christoph is amazing. <laughs> I mean, not just what he's doing, but as a person, yeah, is such an incredible young human being. Oh my goodness.
1: Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. And it and it really connects back to what we were talking about earlier about the core values and that that Zulu Ubuntu meaning mm-hmm. to connect yourself to a greater whole and that that's where you find purposes when you plug into that greater whole. And that's, I just, I love that idea. So I'm going to squeeze in one more question about Think Global as we come down to the end of this conversation, Joanna. it just feels important to me. So you're in a very unique position, meaning you are able as the founder of Think Global now more than a decade in development to channel for our listeners the fears, likely all parents have about their kids. And I wonder if you can take our listeners up to that 30,000 foot level and share what you think parents are feeling and hearing and hoping for and striving for. Like why are they searching out Think Global and working to place their kids in your traveling school? But really it's more about what you're feeling from them, especially about their fears. And in this moment, at the end of 2023 when things are really getting kind of crazy especially with AI and things like that.
2: Oof. I think that parents being a parent myself and knowing that I have you know the same fears that probably any other parent has, am I doing good by my child? Right. Am I helping set them up for success in whatever form you want to define success? I think though, what's really interesting is that there's this like collective illusion around what people want or what parents want with education. If you ask parents what do they want for their child, mm. the answers that you'll get generally it's around social emotional learning. You know, I want them to develop a sense of purpose. I want them to learn how to learn. I want them to have confidence and be adaptable and resilient, right? This is, if you ask, I'd say most parents, that's the answer that I would always get. Then if you ask them, what do you think other parents want, right? And they'll say, well, you know, job security and, Mm. you know, you want them to go to university and I want them to be able to, you know, get good grades and things like that. So, yeah. The illusion there is, the collective illusion there is is most parents think they're in the minority and wanting what they want for their for their children. Wow. but in fact, they're in the majority. Mm. right. And I think when everybody understands that, that my hope is that that's when that force for change will happen, like that that will get to that tipping point where right the expectations of school, become different when it's not all about getting the good grades on the exam, right? It's about becoming a good person, becoming a active and treasured member of community, right, right? who has an open mind and is willing to learn mm. and is able to learn. Right. Because that's actually what most parents want, right? Yeah. And that's actually what most students want.
1: Yes, Yes, indeed. And, you know, you know, Joanne, we at What School Could Be, we've been thinking a lot about this lately, that, you know, there's so much effort in professionally developing teachers or professionally developing administrators in schools. And I feel like you're spot on, that what we're thinking about right now is, how do we harness that energy in parents? And let's go into it thinking and assuming what you're saying, which is that they actually are on the same page, they just don't know it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if we can do that, then we've really got some energy behind helping to move all, all school systems, public, private, and charter, in the direction of this sort of relevant, perspective-based, multiple perspective-based learning. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. So, Joanne, I, I love to end episodes by giving guests an opportunity to talk about the giants upon whose shoulders they stand. And these are the guides and mentors and coaches and friends their family, their folks who helped us become and find meaning in our lives. So, you listed two pretty amazing individuals, Todd Rose and Richard Branson. So, who are these two guys to you, and how do you carry them with you each day in your proverbial tote bag or travel bag?
2: You know what? Richard, I met Richard the first time probably about 10 years ago. And the first time I met him, you know, I was quite intimidated, as one is. And I said to him, "I have two questions for you. First question: Can I go to space?" (laughs) And he said yes. And I said, "Can I be on the first spaceship?" And he said no. Um, And then, (laughs) and the second question I said was, "What is Virgin doing about education?" And Mm. he said nothing. He said, "Why don't you do it, and we'll help support you?" And I thought. Wow. Wow. And so over the course of a few years, we've had a number of conversations. They've definitely stepped up and are working a lot in education now with Big Change, which is an amazing charity out of the UK,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: which is helping to change the mindset around what we are educating for, Mm -hmm. right? Richard himself has dyslexia, so he's working a lot on dyslexia and helping to help people understand you know, that it's actually a superpower. And the one thing that's special about him is he's the first person that I can really say completely and utterly believed in me, Mm. Mm -hmm. right? And when you have a person who really believes in you, it gives you such energy to carry on in a way, to step up. And I'd never really had anybody believe in me the way that he believed in me and what I was doing Mm. and I will forever be grateful for that and I try to emulate that in everybody that I meet that I help them believe in themselves because Mm. it was so special and then Todd you know when he wrote his book End of Average I mean for me that was uh, that was also life-changing because you know I didn't do well in school I always compared myself to everybody else. And just knowing that there is no average, then his book Dark Horse, which was people who basically bucked the system and did things differently. Yeah. You know, that's me, right? Mm. It felt like he was writing about me. And then I got to meet him and become friends with him. And he is another person, he and his business partner, Parisa, who come from a place of such heart and goodness with pure intention to do good in the world. And I just get so much energy from that,
0: Mm.
2: right? And I just find that so inspiring that, you know, he will literally go out of his way to help people understand the things that he knows. You know, he's like this Harvard professor. He's like super smart, (laughs) but he will talk in a way that I can understand him. And that's really, really important to me. And he also believes in what we believe in, right? Yeah. I mean, he just completely believes that the education system needs to change. And he has some really, really good ideas on how to make that happen.
1: Yeah. And I'll mention here at the end that both Todd Rose and Richard Branson are two of the featured speakers in a really cool documentary film called The Cure for the Common Classroom, which is really about Think Global School. And you can find that on Apple TV. It's really worth a watch, and uh, so Joanne, let's let's dedicate this episode here at the end to Todd Rose and Richard Branson. I love that story about Richard. That's Joanne being brave and curious. I want to go to space. Can I? <laughs> 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 and then, what are, what are you doing about education? And uh, that's just so in keeping and a, and a perfect way to close the circle today. So, so Joanne McPike, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a real privilege for me to do a deep dive into your life and into the school that you founded, Think Global School. And I'm just super excited to see where this all goes in 2024 and beyond. So really appreciate you and appreciate your time today.
2: You know what? Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and and the awareness raising that you that you are doing, and the support that mm. you're giving to all of us crazy people out there. Right? <laughs> there we go. Because I, because I love it.
1: Yes, yes. I love it. That's great. To the crazy ones, as Steve Jobs said. We crazy ones. Yes. Exactly. Absolutely. Perfect. I wear
2: that like a badge of honor.
1: Me too. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, take
3: care.
2: Thank you. Bye-bye.
3: Our editor, creative consultant, and sound engineer is the talented Evan Kurohara. Our theme music is created by a remarkable pianist, Michael Sloan, producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs. Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and 2,000 cities. We'd be grateful if you would support these episodes with leading-edge, innovative, and imaginative educators and students by giving us your own rating and writing a review wherever you get your podcasts. This series is sponsored by education change agent Ted Dintersmith, executive producer of the award-winning documentary film Most Likely to Succeed, and author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org and follow the show on Twitter at WSCB Podcast. Finally, listeners, One of the most important things we can do is to bring kindness and compassion into the world. For sure, we need a surplus of both right now. Thank you so much for listening.